Welcome, I am your host, Ed Moore, and this is Ronin Rabbit, episode 66. We are a Usagi Yojimbo fan podcast. If you want to leave feedback, you can send emails to usagipodcast at gmail.com. The website is bigtimenoise.com slash Rabbit. Ronin Rabbit has a Google Plus page, and Facebook activity is via the Usagi Yojimbo Dojo Facebook page. This episode... I'm giving my thoughts on Usagi Yojimbo Volume 2, Issue 10, cover dated October 1994 from Mirage Publishing, the story, Slavers Part 2. The main characters we'll be following are Mayamoto Usagi, General Fujii, and Nobaro. Now, as we left off last episode, if you haven't listened to it, if you haven't, why not? But if you haven't... Uh, Usagi has uh, attempted to rescue some villagers that he found were in dire straits, and those who caused the dire straits for the villagers found out about Usagi and captured him. Now, we see that they are torturing him via uh, inverted water dunking, trying to elicit, I I suppose, more information from Usagi. Uh, The man in charge, General Fujii, just says that he is going to break Usagi. That, that's all he keeps saying. He, he's not asking Usagi questions that uh, Usagi is refusing to answer or anything like that. He, he's just, as I said, trying to break him, whatever that may mean. Well, he's not. Uh, Usagi is made of firm enough stuff. As we know, being Usagi fans, of course, we know what he is capable of. Uh, we cut outside and we see the villagers who are toiling under the uh, dreaded whip of this group of bandits and brigands that have taken over the village. They notice that Usagi uh, is being led out. You know, they they notice Usagi because they were made aware that he had entered their midst to try to freedom free them, but he had been found out. So Usagi is ushered out, uh, bound and trips and falls, but the bandit that is leading him decides that he is still going to get from point A to point B, and if Usagi's not going to walk, he's going to drag him. So he's just dragging him. The villagers are starting to gather around to see what's going on. Uh, in, in, in the lead, the first villager, the, the foremost person of the throng of people, turns out to be the head man, Noboro. So he is... He is the vanguard of the villagers as this proceeds in in every aspect in this particular issue. He is in the front of the villagers that are, you know, walking towards to see what's going on. And and he gets warned off uh, by one of the brigands to to stay back and, and watch himself. They take Usagi and they string him up, um upright, but they hoist him just up off of the ground and and suspend him via the ropes. Again, Fujii addresses the now-gathered villagers in regards to Usagi, uh, telling them, This beast came as a spy into our midst, a betrayer. He will be crucified tomorrow as a warning to those who would trifle with me. If anyone tries to feed him or help him, that person, too, will meet the same fate. We have a... um, a smattering of the villagers here, and we can see eight or ten faces. The one face that stands out is the headman, because everyone else is scared, horrified, 
concerned face, but the headman has the this will not stand, I will get you back face. And Fujii notices that, um, but he turns back to Usagi, uh, prods at him a little bit more, takes Usagi's swords and and shows that he has the swords that he's going to keep them. Um, the the main thing Usagi says is he keeps calling Fujii a monster. Uh, it, it for me after four or five repetitions it got kind of old that that's all Usagi was saying um, the goading and the breaking of will that Fujii is attempting you see is starting to work on Usagi because he's fixated on the word monster and that's all he keeps saying uh, and he's yelling it it's not a calm collected Usagi who just knows that he will get free and he will just kill this man in response. That's not the Usagi we see. The Usagi we see is enraged and um, out of control of his emotions. Here, Fujii notices the headman and calls him down, confronts him face to face until finally the headman, Noboro, backs down and goes from being the headman of the village back into the persona of another slave and skulks off back to where the slaves have retreated to when they were told to disperse. Again, more interaction between Usagi and Fujii as Fujii just continues to goad him. Um, we then cut to the villagers who are you know, doing their various tasks as instructed by the slavers. And... The headman is trying to raise up some sort of uh, pushback. He says that Usagi is here, and it is their fault. They have to help him. And, of course, you have some of the people that are like, well, you know, how can we do anything? What can we do? They watch us. We're shackled. You know, all the excuses, all the reasons that they shouldn't be able to do anything. But the headman persists. We must do something, and we will. In the morning... We will revolt. Spread the word. Uh, the conversation is cut off as a slaver comes by. We then cut to General Fujii, who is having uh, a meal, you know, whichever meal it may be during the day, and he's talking to one of his lieutenants, probably it seems. And we see that the lieutenant is very complacent in his thoughts of controlling the people of the village, uh, much to the chagrin and necessary correction by General Fujii about underestimating your opponent. Day turns to night. At night, the slaver that has been put in charge of guarding Usagi, because one of the parts of the conversation with his lieutenant was to place additional guards on the slaves and make sure they're secured and also place a guard on Usagi. So, the, the general just has that feeling, that thing, things are about to, to blow up here. So we cut to the guard on Usagi, who he himself is goading Usagi. Um, and in the midst of this, Usagi notices off, you know, kind of in the distance, that something is going on, someone's moving or, or something like that. So I'll help cover for them in whatever they're doing. So he, now he pointedly starts talking to the guard, so all of the guard's attention is on him. 
While he's doing that, a rock flies out of the darkness, striking the guard in the head, knocking him out. Yet another, as I mentioned last episode, KTFO, for those of you that are of a more adult bent. Hero comes running out of the darkness, uh, cuts Usagi down with uh, the sword that he picked up off of the slaver, we have a, a, a modicum of humor. Really wasn't too, too much humor in the last issue. Uh, Mr. Sakai usually tries to interject humor in, in most of his stories, but I, I don't recall anything that was uh, ironical, <laughs> if, if I can use that word, or funny last issue. But this issue here, this scene, as Hiro is wielding this sword, you know, trying to slice and cut Usagi down, he's getting a little too close to Usagi, and Usagi kind of freaks out and says, hey, watch my ears, and he's got the, you know, a really frightened face. But Hiro does manage to cut him down, gets him free, gathers up the food and water that the slaver had and the sword that the slaver had. They hide that body. A little while later, after Usagi has been freed and he is uh, more vital now, having probably eaten and consumed some water, stretched, relaxed, gotten over being bound and suspended, uh, he starts to work on a plan of, of attack against the slavers, but also he asks Hiro, now, when the archer came back into town, he said that he had followed you and you were dead. How, how, how are you here? So Hiro tells his story on his journey to the next village over. He knew that the archer had gotten loose and was following him. And at one point at night, as they were trying to traverse a mountain path near a waterfall, Hiro had slipped and fallen onto a ledge and had been knocked unconscious. As near as he could tell, the archer must have thought that he had fallen to his death in the rocks below and left. Hiro recovered, decided that instead of going to the next village, what he needed to do is go back to his village, make sure Usagi was okay, because of course this archer would tell the story and Usagi would be in danger. So it, it, Hiro asked him, did, you know, did I do the right thing? Is this what I should do? And at first Usagi says, you should have continued on and summoned the authorities, Hiro, in a very stern face. But then he uh, smiles and winks and says, but right now, I'm glad you came back. So, bo bo both sides of the same coin there. So now Usagi is, uh, he has his plan. He has Hiro as a helper. A as they're going about the different aspects, trying to get around the village to where the slaves are, they dispatch one, two, three guards so they're they're trimming away at the number of slavers, and they get to the uh, house, hut, structure, whatever it may be, where the slaves are being kept. Quick little um, two two or three panel reunion between Hiro and Nabarro, and Nabarro mentions, you know, Ugi, uh, Ugi, wow, excuse me, Usagi says, you know, we've we've got to get everything together and and take out the slavers now while they're asleep. And Nabarro says, well, that's that's good, but what about our chains? Now here, Usagi again finds a lockpick that is, has been hidden in the suba of the katana that he has. So I suppose maybe that is a more regular thing than just Usagi. Maybe it's something that is traditionally built into samurai's katanas to, for, for this eventuality. But this 
Katana has one also. So they use this lockpick to go through and free all of the slaves of their foot shackles. Sunrise, or just before dawn, uh, which would be... Yeah, I, there's a word. I've, but anyways, uh, we cut to the slaver's hut. And General Fujii uh, wakes up smelling something. And they see that their hut is on fire. And so everybody is suddenly gets up yelling, Get up or burn! Oh, they're running out and everything like that. And as they're running out, the slaves, the farmers, are standing outside the door waiting for them. And they dispatch them as they start coming out the door. The door is the choke point. Of course, a lesser force, as we know from the movie The 300, can control a larger force if they can control that choke point in the journey. And that is exactly the philosophy that Usagi has these villagers doing. So they're all surrounding the opening of this building outside. And as these slavers come out one or two at a time, they're quickly whatever, knocked out, killed, whatever it is. So very quickly, the slavers realize, well, we can't run out and our hut is on fire. We have to do something. Usagi is outside leading the farmers yelling, Fujii, order your men to walk out without their swords. We'll hold you all for the authorities. So now we cut back inside, and General Fujii is you know, thinking, trying to figure out what else to do. So in, in very militaristic style, he rallies the men. We have weapons. We have superior numbers. They are nothing but farmers. There is no reason to believe that they should be able to overcome us. So he rallies the men. They now, with uh, renewed confidence, charge out all together of the building, wielding their swords. They're no longer caught by surprise. They're expecting attack now. So they run out. They have a little bit more success. We see different uh, different things. We see the farmers... Uh, for the most part, without swords, we see the slavers wielding swords. Usagi in the midst, dispatching people. Uh, rocks uh, probably being hurled by Hiro from a distance, much like an archer would be. Uh, speaking of which, one of the slavers is an archer, and he has made it outside and is standing off to the side um, with his arrows, one of which... Usagi manages to cut in midair and then jumps towards him and dispatches the archer. With the uh, dispatching of the archer, among other things, that is the final straw. The slavers surrender to four, six, eight, ten, eleven of them here, completely surrounded by the farmers. We see Noboru and Usagi here to the side as well. The slavers are shackled, uh, much as the Slaves, the farmers formerly would were, and then Usagi asks, "Well, where's Fujii?" Um, Noboro gives the command to his people, the other villagers, find the general and bring him here. They search and search and search. Later, they can't find him. So Usagi determines, "Well, he he must have escaped during the melee. I'm going after him." And one of the or a hero turns to Usagi and says, Now, Samurai, but you need to rest and heal. And very stern-faced, Usagi turns to him and says, He still has my swords. Now, we have a backup tale here, uh, which tells us 
a story of a year ago. We have a fisherman in a boat on a stream singing to himself as he plies his trade. But then he notices over there, what's that? What is that thing laying over in the reeds? He goes over to the reeds, investigates, finds it's a body, starts feeling around on the body to see if it's alive or not, and the body is alive. Ah! And it frightens him, and the, the character has a very evil face, uh, pointy teeth, no blacks, no colors in the eyes, just white eyes looking at him and scares him, both because of the appearance, but also because he is alive and not dead. We know this character as, um, at, now I have forgotten how to pronounce it, J-A-I, Jai, J-Jai, uh, the character, the demon character from earlier in Usagi's history. So the fisherman helps uh, Jai to his boat, takes him to his hut, tends to his wounds. Jai wakes up, and the fisherman says, Oh, you're awake. I was so worried. You haven't stirred once since I found you a week ago. So he laid here in the hut, tending to him for a week. Uh, because he, the, the fisherman is so far out from civilization that he he didn't have help, and he was afraid to try to go get help because in the interim, he was afraid that this person would die. So he had to tend to them, and he was the only one that could. So that's that's why this situation is the way it is. So they start talking a little bit. The fisherman, in his friendly, uh, n- um, naive kind of way, Jai very much not... Uh, Jai Tarts starts telling him a story about a fisherman who found a serpent, uh, as if we don't know where this story is going, on a frozen mountain path. He took the serpent in, cared for it greatly, wrapped it in the coat, fire, fed it, kept it warm. The serpent grew in strength until one day the serpent struck the fisherman And the fisherman asked, well, why? I don't understand. I saved you. I did everything for you. What kind of gratitude is this? And the serpent's response is, it has nothing to do with gratitude. It is merely what I am. Thank you for rescuing me. Jai then attacks the fisherman. Uh, The fisherman yells, screams for help, whatnot. And the very last panel, we see Jai walking off from the distance from the fisherman's hut. So, uh, the return of... I guess is is what you could say here in this situation. Alrighty, guys, a little bit more feedback I'd like to throw out there. First, I have a comment on the Google Plus page from Dr. G, the man of nerdology. He said, This is the intersection of my anthropomorphic, very good word, by the way, martial arts animal geek Venn diagram. I was a huge fan of both properties at the same time, and to see them cross over was a rare treat. Yes, a rare treat in the era of comic books, even. And then also, I have another comment from Steve. Uh, Both of these are about episode 59. Steve says, starts out, great podcast as always. One quibble with the last two episodes, and it's a very reasonable quibble. You mentioned the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Sensei as Shredder on multiple occasions. Eh. But in reality, his name was Splinter. The character Shredder was the arch enemy of the Turtles and leader of the organization called the Foot or the Hand or something like that. Actually, I believe it was the Foot. The Hand, I believe, is Marvel Comics' Daredevil Ninja's 
Electra, all that stuff. Um, I'm actually surprised that there are Usagi fans who know even less about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles than I do. Smiley face. Keep up the good work. Bio, Steve. Um, yes, uh, I did. I realized that after I had posted those episodes. And then I read this comment, which really brought it home. Splinter and Shredder. I know enough about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles that I should not have made that mistake. However, I did, and once I got that in my head as I was recording, it didn't occur to me to fix it. But Shredder is um, the bad guy, uh, the big dude in armor that the turtles fight. Splinter is the sensei rat that the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles have so, as I apologize for what was pointed out potentially last episode, I apologize again for those Ninja Turtle fans that I may have offended. I know enough that I should not have made that mistake, but I did. And so, your humble podcast host apologizes for any slight. Uh, now, the only uh, Stan Sakai didn't give us any new terms, but I threw one in there because I dug up the name... Uh, Tsuba as the guard on the katana where the lock pick apparently is hidden in uh, some samurai swords. Uh, Usagi's and whosever sword he had, you know, it was one of the slavers, but apparently it had a lock pick in it too. Next issue, next episode, Usagi Ojimbo Volume 2, Issue 11, cover dated December 1994 from Mirage Publishing. My thoughts coming up next time. Issues or episode 67. I'll talk to you guys then. Ciao. The Ronin Rabbit Podcast is a tier production and as such is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution, non commercial, non derivatives, 3.0, unported license.